Amen. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 1. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, for those of you who don't know, I was in Israel and uh, went with Pastor Russ. And we had a, uh, a terrific uh, time. Visited 37 different sites, including the Sea of Galilee. I talked about, um, about walking on water. Didn't quite work out as I planned. Uh, but I'm planning to do it in a month or so. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll have it nailed in a month when that lake freezes over. Um, but, um, but it was, it was uh, seeing the Bible in 3D and experiencing that, that sense and, and having those remarkable prayer times by the Sea of Galilee and uh, on the Mount of Beatitudes and walking those streets and seeing the complexity of the city of Jerusalem. Of course, Jerusalem is the only city that has two locations. It has the earthly location and, um, and a heavenly location. And one day, the heavenly location and the earthly location will come together. Won't that be a wonderful day? It's amazing. And so the earthly location can sometimes be a bit of a disappointment to people, I'll be honest. Because they'll be, oh, look at this. It's not quite how I imagined it. In fact, uh, the uh, Jerusalem Hospital reports that every year, 200 pilgrims have nervous breakdowns because they arrive at Jerusalem and find it's not quite how they imagined it. So, um, but I'm glad to report I'm okay. Um, but that's amazing because they set their hopes probably on something that they imagined and what it should be and the religion rather than the reality of the radical relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we discover that relationship, it makes all the difference within our lives. And, um, and it, 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 it takes that. So what I want to talk to you about as we begin an Advent uh, series, the point of the Advent series is to draw us closer to the Christmas story that over the next, it's only 25 days to Christmas Day. Um, or so. No, I've got the wrong date. It's, it's less than that. Ah, let's all go down auction mall quickly. Um, but it's, it's, it's a number of days before Christmas. But it's, it's, it's those Advent Sundays, these days like this, where we focus our thinking on the glorious miracle of the Incarnation. And that somebody in this story that often isn't preached about, I'm going to preach about him this morning. And I'm going to preach about somebody that needed incredible courage. And his name was Joseph. And I could call this the fathers of Jesus. Because, of course, Jesus had the heavenly father. And, of course, he had an earthly father who was not his biological father. But Joseph, amongst the whole narrative, needed the courage as a man to step forward and to believe that what was going on in his crazy life, when the whole of his life started to go topsy-turvy and spinning all around, that in the middle of this madness and in the middle of this problem and in the middle of this, this great pronouncement that God was at work and he could trust God. And this man, Joseph, needed the courage that only could come from the power of God in his life. And so we're going to look at one text 
And it's found in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. And this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Matthew, the author of the Gospel of Matthew, a Jewish author, is declaring with with absolute knowledge as a gospel written to the Jews. He's declaring right at the beginning here. He's already done it through the genealogy. He's made the point about the line and the direction. And last year I spoke about the mothers of Jesus right the way through the line and the women that are present in the genealogy and how God took them and used them. And now we find that the, the author stops and makes it pretty clear that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And I want to tell you that the Messiah has come to this earth and he has purchased us by the death on the cross and by his blood and that we are free, we are forgiven and the kingdom of God is amongst us because the Messiah has come. That he is present but we're waiting for the second advent. But now we're in the first advent. And this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Notice the word pledged. I don't know how you got engaged. I don't know how it was done. I know that teenagers today and in their 20s who are getting engaged, they're doing it incredibly amazing. Like I feel very insecure that taking Michelle to McDonald's was not the best. Um, I didn't do that. But, you know, I was classic over a nice meal, candlelit and so on. There, pull out the ring, crack it open, beautiful moment. And all the waiters start to sing and I, you know, no. Um, but, but young people today, I have a, you know, it's like... Creating these wonderful moments on top of mountains with candles. And they're walking through it. And at the top, there's a, a glorious, glorious sense of, 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 of string instruments and, and beautiful moments. And a helicopter descends. I mean, it's amazing. Guys, the modern guys are making us look bad. Um, But how would this have happened? He was pledged. Well, it was pretty different to the way that we think about it. The pledge was that Mary was probably about 13 years of age. She'd been brought forward in the village. The village, of course, the home village, was about 480 people. And the village and the family would gather round and Joseph would have stepped forward. And Mary, being 13, 14 years old was then pledged to be married to Joseph. And this was a legal position that was taken as a couple. And then later on, they would have a second moment when everybody would gather together for a ceremony where again, they would declare that they are married. So this is serious business. The whole of the community knew about it. Everybody knew what was taking place and what was happening. And so his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. This is the great, great miracle of the incarnation. That this child that was within Mary did not 
come as a result of Joseph or any other man, but came as a result that this was a divine act of God. And the doctrine of the incarnation is incredible. It is part of the church that the, 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 the virgin gave birth to a child. The Virgin Mary, the incarnation, is central to our Christian belief and makes all of the difference because it tells us that this child was not just any child, but this child was God himself coming to this world. And Matthew makes this clear in this passage, that this was a divine act. The word here, found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, could literally also be interpreted, found that the breath of God came upon Mary and she came to be with child. It was an act of God. It was an act of the breath of God. It was an act of God speaking. And from this point on, the gospel writers affirmed that Jesus was God. That Paul affirmed that Jesus was God. In Colossians 1, it talks about that he embodied the very Godhead within himself. Peter speaks about the one and true Lord Jesus Christ who is our God. Jesus himself spoke about his God, about the fact that he would return again and he would judge the world. He's, and that is the position and the act of God himself. Jesus spoke about equality with God, that I and my Father are one and the same. Jesus spoke in John 8, that amazing verse, when he says, I was before Abraham, I was, I am, using the same phrase that when the burning bush happened and Moses stepped forward and said, who are you? He said, I am who I am. And Jesus Christ says, I am that. God. I am that God that has come to the earth. I am that God who's been revealed in the doctrine of what we call the incarnation. And the beginning of the incarnation took place as the Holy Spirit breathed on this young girl and placed within her was the greatest gift that ever came to humanity. And the truth is this. That Jesus was like a massive billiard ball coming into the world to smash all our notions about God. You see, for the Jews, this was a radical idea. For the Jews, this was the idea. This verse that's at the end of this passage, which we'll read at the end, which says, The virgin shall give birth. This was a real problem to Jewish scholars. They struggled with this. Because... Because they didn't understand how could this be literal or is it figurative. And most of the ancient Jewish scholars and, and those that studied thought it, was, it must have been figurative. They didn't really understand it. But it's clear that when the gospel writers and Peter and Paul, the other writers and the early church, it was not figurative, it was fact. It was the fact that, the, that Mary became pregnant by the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
This was a remarkable moment. In fact, in the ancient church, just 50 years after the writing of Mark's gospel, when they came to the baptism service and when you were baptized in the early church, you would go through a creed and you would speak out the creed. And one of the early moments in the creed was declare that Mary, who, who carried Jesus, was, was, and Jesus was born of a virgin. There was no doubt in church history, no doubt in biblical literature that Jesus came through the birth of the virgin, that he was divine and that he came as this massive billiard ball to wreck our ideas about religion, to change the patterns of things within the world, to break down prejudice and declare that there is an infinitely loving God and an infinitely holy God that wants to reach down to this world. So, well, what do you mean? I mean this, that we are never good enough to climb up the ladder to God. But God chose in his love and in his mercy and in his grace, this verse shows this, to send Jesus to come down the ladder to rescue you and I. He came down to us because we could never reach up to him. Because a loving and yet just and holy God has to judge sin. He has to judge humanity. And yet he loves humanity and cares for humanity so much. Therefore, God himself came down to solve the problem of man's brokenness and to bring us back into a loving relationship with God. It starts with the theology of the incarnation, of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ within Mary to save us. You see... In these days, people are preaching a God of relativism. Well, you know, it'd be fine if you just believe this or you come from this culture or that. You don't have to sort of believe that. God's big enough. God's full of love. Don't worry. Everything will be great. Listen, if it's that kind of God, there was no need for God to come down as a human being and be nailed to the cross and die for us. No need. If it's a moralistic God, oh, you know, whatever you feel, your morals and this, God loves you there. There's no point for Jesus Christ to come into the world and to be born of a virgin if we just kind of dilute God into this kind of weak, hippie type of image whereby everything's fine. No, everything is not fine. Humanity is fallen. Humanity is broken. And humanity cannot save themselves. But God came down the ladder to bring us back to him and to save us. And that is the miracle of the incarnation. It's that he came home to fetch us back. Can I say that again? He came home to fetch you back. Don't you love it when somebody turns up and fetches you back? I do. I got back from Israel. And I'm, 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 it's, uh, it's 10 hour, it's 11 hour flight coming from, from Tel Aviv. 11 hours in a little tube. And, and you're bouncing around. I don't know why they just can't, can't be smooth. And 
And it does your prayer life well. And, and as you, you fly, I landed in Toronto and instantly I started talking to my wife. I'm, I'm, I'm in Toronto. I'm only another eight hours away. <laughs> I love you. Emoji, emoji, emoji. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm being really thoughtful in Toronto and I'm, I'm texting her and saying... I know I'm going to land, it looks like about 11 p.m. at night, and I know you like to go to bed a little earlier than that, <laughs> 7. Uh, bam. It's exhausting. She, she told me after that joke last night. <laughs> she said, I don't go at 7. I said, I'm sorry, love. It was half past 7. Um, I said, I know, I said, I'm going to land at 11. I'll take a taxi. Uh, just... Um, just, just go to bed and I'll arrive back and, and I'll be quiet and you rest and don't worry. Everything's good. And she, you know, then I get on the next flight. Then I run and I don't really know what's happening, but I text her again. Don't worry. Go to bed. You need your rest. Don't fetch me. And then they arrive at Kelowna Airport. Such a great airport. And as you walk through, I walked in, I'm carrying my bags, and there's a chariot waiting for me. A Honda Odyssey. <laughs> Eight-seater. And there is Michelle. I, it felt so good to be fetched, right? I wasn't, you know, she went very quiet. She was surprising me. It was nice. It was lovely. I better have a good present. Um, but it felt good to be fetched. That somebody cares enough. You know what it's like when you're a kid and, and your dad comes and he's there. You don't expect him, but he fetches you. You see, the, the miracle of the incarnation is that God comes down and he fetches us back. He says, I love you enough to not stay in the comfort of my home, in the lovely of my little home in Rutland or whatever, with the dog, with the heating on, with the roaring fire. I don't want to stay there. Well, I want to come down, and I'm going to come down into this world, and I'm going to be born as any other child is born. I'm going to live in the loneliness and the brokenness and the darkness of humanity, and I'm going to know the unloveliness of all that you do, and I'm going to bring love into this world. I am going to bring hope in this world, and I'm going to bring a way of salvation because I have come to fetch humanity home. That's what I've come The incarnation, the breath of God is to fetch us home, to bring us back. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had mind to divorce her quietly. Um, a lot of thought has gone into this. He was faithful to the law. I think, for me, the best interpretation of that little phrase, he was faithful to the law, is this. He was a merciful man. To rem- he had to be a merciful man. 
And yet he did not want to expose her to public grace. It would have been a disgrace. It would have been a terrible thing. So there were two ways of divorcing a woman at this time in this situation. Way number one, remember they come from a community, Nazareth, with, which had 480 people that lived about that in that town. Now you can imagine the gossip, can't you? You know, human beings love to gossip, yes? We love to know who's doing what, who's sleeping with who, who's a good leader, it's, it's what politicians we can trust. Human beings love, it's, it's the way that we've been, we've been as, a, as a group. We love to talk about other people, and we love to know. You imagine that, a little town in Galilee of 480 people. So you can imagine that because you, you've lived in Saskatchewan. You know <clears throat> what little towns are like, right? You know what it's like when people get to hear the rumor. You know what it's like when the rumor gets twisted. You know what it's like. And yet he was merciful to her because the rumor and the disgrace that she would have faced was immense. So two ways to divorce. Number one. We bring the girl, remember she's 13, 14, in front of the town council. And there she is publicly spoken about. It is proven that she has committed adultery and the divorce paper is given. That's harsh, isn't it? Or there's a way that you can take two witnesses quietly Meet and do it with two witnesses. And I imagine what this verse talks about is that Joseph was thinking about this. His mind was, was, was whirring, battling through this whole process. And he was thinking, I want to be faithful to the law, uh, yet didn't want to humiliate this tender soul and to break her and to publicly humiliate her. And so let's do everything gently. Let's do everything quietly. Let's do everything in the right way. I think the first point I want to make about Joseph at this moment is Joseph had the courage to face the disdain of people's opinion around him. He wasn't worried about the opinion of men in that way. He had mercy and he cared and he was willing to face the disdain, the gossip, the disgrace. He wanted to protect her. He wanted to do what was right, even when he felt betrayed. He couldn't explain to anybody what has gone on. Because he, he has a dream. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. There are 21 dreams in the Bible. Significant dreams. And they, they vary in different ways. And this is one of the most dramatic, spiritual, significant dreams. Because he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, 
God's given the answer what's going on, but that answer is very difficult to explain to people, isn't it? You know, he's with the lads. So what's going on with you and Mary? Well, she's pregnant. Oh, bad boy. No, it wasn't me. Well, who was it? Well, guys, it was the breath of God came down and made her pregnant. Hmm. Really? Really? So it's nobody's baby? So it's either you and you're hiding it or you're really naive and it's somebody else. See, that's hard. And he needed courage. He needed courage to face the condemnation. He needed courage to face the disdain. He needed courage to believe that when everybody else had a different opinion and everybody else had an opinion and everybody else knew the business in the village, that he had the courage because one thing sustained Joseph and one thing alone sustained him and kept him going and that was the living voice of God speaking in his life and telling him it will be okay. And sometimes... The only thing that sustains us in our spiritual walk and our walk with God is this, is God's voice within our lives. Because others can have opinions, others condemn us, others can talk about us, but sometimes we know that God has spoken us through that scripture. We know that God is leading us in that way and what we've got to be willing to do is have the courage to believe what God has spoken to your heart and the courage to follow it through. It is the living word of God that made the difference to Joseph. And it is the living word of God that will make the difference to you in your life. So don't be afraid. What was he afraid of? (laughs) It's pretty obvious. Rejection, disgrace, rumor, being accused of this act. I don't know so much. I've discovered that when God speaks into our hearts and scripture explodes and ministers to us and God speaks to us, do you know the one thing that happens when God speaks and we hear his little voice, his whisper? Fear disappears. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you need courage. Maybe you need God to do something. And it's time. To hear his voice about this problem and this difficulty. The second area of courage he needed was courage to step away from self-determination. Notice it says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He loses the right for self-determination. How do I know this from this verse? Look at what it says. And you are to give him the name Jesus. 
That may seem a little statement that seems inconsistent. Okay, we've read it a thousand times. But in a patriarchal system where men had the word, where men had the final say, in a system, it was the man's absolute divine right to name his child. But God is taking that away from Joseph and saying, This is his name. I'm the father. And I name him. And I name him Jesus. Because he will save people from their sins. So Joseph has to have the courage to deal with the disdain of people. And he has to have the courage to say, okay, I give up self-determination. I'm sorry for trying to manage my own life. I'm sorry for negotiating terms and agreements in our contract between God, if you do this, I will do this. God, if you act this way, I will act this way. Let's negotiate here, God. Or God, if I do this, you do this. None of that. At this moment, the most courageous man, Joseph, says, I'm going to believe what God is doing because I've heard God's voice. And I'm not going to negotiate with God because when I become a follower of the living God, I deny myself and I declare that I no longer belong to myself, but I belong to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. And I pick up my cross and I follow Christ. And every one of us needs that courage to say, I'm going to put God first. Even in my marriage, even in my relationships, I'm going to put God first here. Because it's God that counts. And Joseph was a man that put God first. She'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus Because he will save his people from their sins. Finally, the most courageous act we can do is to realize that the only way we can be forgiven from our failings and our problems and our sins is to confess our sins. For every one of us, the most courageous act we can do is to confess our sinfulness. Realize that each one of us are broken. That each one of us struggle. And each one of us needs the Savior to come and to fetch us home. To bring us back to where we should be. And for some people here today, maybe you've come to church and you needed to hear this word. You needed courage. You need courage to push through with that relationship. You need courage to break through with that business. You need courage to raise your children the way that you think is right. You need courage to keep working in that job that is so difficult. You need courage. You need courage to push through that illness in your life. You need courage. You need courage. And I believe held in this table of communion and through the act of Christ and the truth 
of the incarnation, Jesus Christ can give you that courage. He can give you that strength. He can give you that when this week I want to encourage you to meditate on Joseph. What he faced, what he went through, how he struggled, and how he needed to be the most courageous of men. Guys, there are times when you and I, we have to be courageous. We have to be courageous for what God is asking us to do in this journey. So this is a great moment for us to change gear and to break bread and to take communion. If you're in the balcony, please stay seated and you'll be served. Servers will come and join me here at the front. And with the thoughts of Joseph, why don't we, on this Advent service, just pause for a moment and examine ourselves before the Lord. And the night in which the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. I want to remind you that that baby in that manger would one day be nailed to that cross and would be broken. In the same manner, he took the cup and he poured it out, saying, this is the blood of my new covenant that takes away the sins of the world. The dream and the angel said, he comes to take away the sins of the world. The purpose he declared was to take away the sins of the world. And this morning, I want to declare to you that you can be forgiven You can have a right relationship with God and that the sins and the failings and the selfishness and the pain can be taken away. And this morning, you can be forgiven and you can know Jesus Christ in your life. How? By reaching out for a moment. Let me pray. If you would like Jesus to take away your sin and you'd like to become a Christian. Just pray this prayer with me. Quietly to yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I acknowledge I've done many wrong things in my life. I've lived without you. And I've lived apart from you. And I'm sorry. And Lord, I pray that you will forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Bring me home. Home is with you. Fetch me back. Forgive me. Make me new. 
I choose to make you Lord of my life. And I choose to be a Jesus follower this morning. Just for a moment, before we open for communion, and this for you may be a first communion in a long time, or a first ever communion. But this morning you're saying yes to Jesus. I give my life to Christ. Then for a moment I'd love to pray for you. Just raise your hand or look up. And by raising your hand, saying, Pastor, pray for me. Today, I choose to be a follower of Jesus. Is anybody? God bless you. God bless you. God bless. Looking in the balcony. Slip your hand up. Anybody downstairs? Lord Jesus, I thank you for those that you've called home and for those that you're bringing back and fetching back to yourself. Thank you that they've had the courage to make a step for you. And we are so happy. So this morning, people are discovering the love of God. Thank you, Lord. Because what was spoken in that dream in Matthew, has come true this morning. You have saved us from our sins. Bless you, Lord. Thank you. And I pray, God, that you will encourage and strengthen and build up. In Jesus' name.